welcome to Dead House. I'm Dylan. I'm Nathan. And we went to a film festival last night. We did. Balf. Balf. <laughs> uh, what is it? Brisbane-only repulsive liquefied film festival? Close. Repulsive oh, liquid. I like liquefied. Which better. is such a badass name for a film festival. Yeah. So, it's, what was it? A film festival just dedicated to body it's, horror? It's just body horror, yeah. Goop, it was like... Liquid. 80s and 90s body horror screenings at uh, a local cinema in the city and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just all this month, like every Saturday and Sunday, they mm-hmm. had double features planned, ranging from fucking the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> to The Fly. To the blob. What we watched, Body Melt, Body and Melt, Reanimator, and Reanimator. Yes, some classics, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a good time. Good time. We we had a nice uh, craft beer called Brain Dead, which had all sorts of fruity sour goodness. <laughs> fruity sour goodness. Yes, <laughs> yes, it? indeed. And we also checked out a coffee shop. Uh, man, one I've heard for it's called Death Before Decaf. Yeah, that My was. That I mean, was good. <laughs> as much as I love Zarafas, which fuels the pod, uh, and Stellarossa, which we're having right now. Correct. Yes, Death Before Decaf. My word, that was yeah. one. I had an ice mocha, and it might be the best ice mocha I've ever had. I had my usual vanilla latte, but on coconut milk, which is so hipster. But I used to have that all the time, and it's so nice. And, which I, uh, I also love that on their board, they call those wanky milk because <laughs> they have like coconut milk, oat milk. It's all under the wanky yeah. milk. Yeah. Um, and also the aesthetic is so sick. It's got that like punk rock kind of emo vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of black and skulls and tattooed people. Tattooed Simpsons. But, uh, and I love around the menu, they had like the, the AAA cards from like heavy tours. Yep. Yep. That was sick. Um, so yeah, check it out. Death Before Decaf in New Farm. Recommend. And, uh, we should get into our episode. Let's do it. What are we doing today, Nathan? Uh, we're recording a podcast. <laughs> About uh, the ba 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 duk duk duk. The ba 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 duk duk duk. Yes. Uh, the Babadook, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie and that doesn't really make sense to them. Yes, the Babadook, 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, I think first, this is the first. First female director? First female director and first Aussie film. I mean, apart from Wormwood, <laughs> that fucking zombie oh, comedy yeah, yeah, I went yeah. into briefly. For, but, first uh, Aussie movie that we're actually doing an episode about. Yeah, yeah, true. It's its own review. And. Uh, I'm keen. Uh, I've said many times on this spot, I'm a big fan of, of local cinema. and um, I've got a bad reputation of hating Australian movies. Yeah. Uh, I don't hate all Australian movies. I just think there's an overwhelming amount of not good Australian movies. It's disappointing that the shit ones get famous. Yeah. And the cool ones and the good ones remain like arty indie films. Yeah. But like one like this is, it gives me like hope. And like, this is what it's meant to be. Mm. This is an Australian movie that is good for all like it is yeah and this didn't do that well in australia like it was bigger overseas particularly america i yeah. think than here which is interesting i think that's just a, an aussie movie thing yeah like, maybe look at fucking crocodile dundee yeah. the well, castle I mean, last night when we saw body melt they had the director there right had like a bit of a q a yeah that was cool philip brophy he was saying even though he made it i guess for australians was he saying they couldn't actually they didn't end up selling it in australia something I, like I that i think I don't think it was a matter of they couldn't get distribution rights, but it just did much better globally. Yeah, okay. Which is so strange. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, our accent and our lifestyle just appeals to, to other people. Yeah, I will say, though, like the difference between, say, Body Melt and this, two odd examples, yeah. but two Australian movies, Body Melt didn't really feel Australian, even though it was set in like suburban Melbourne. Yeah. There's nothing really about it that seemed Australian. Yeah, it wasn't overtly like bogan culture that you see yeah. in some I mean, of the films. I mean, apart from the very nice Monaro that some of the characters are driving. Well, yeah. Um, but then this one, the Babadook, like it's, it looks Australian. Just mm. from the type of buildings and houses, like that looks like a neighbourhood you'd see in rural South Australia or Melbourne or something like that. It's interesting you say that actually because it, it is very much Australian uh, like set design, but that house... Um, that they have like the family set at in Adelaide was actually built because they wanted it to look like an old Victorian-esque mm. house. There you go. Um, but yeah, definitely like reminded me of home. And uh, this was written and directed uh, by the same person, Jennifer Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a debut feature, so very impressive. Another one of the fucking first horror movies by a director is just good. Knocks mm. it out of the park. Yeah, very impressive. And it was um, based on a short film that she made, right? Yeah, I can't monster? remember the year. Was it 2013? Year before? I don't remember. Something like that. But yeah, Monster. And um, yeah, she. I think she refers to that as like Baby Babadook. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of themes kind of crossed over um, into this. And I think I read in an interview with her that um, 
she originally had the idea for that short and then once that was finished and and had moderate success and that was out in the world she was like no i can't leave this idea alone like there's so many more things i can explore in this yeah because i think the origin came from like she had a a friend who was a single mother Mm. and she the, the friend was saying to sort of help her child cope with the like monster in the closet yeah she just talked to the monster in the closet yeah, and I yeah. think the director said, "Oh, that's such a like creative, weird thing to do for your child." Yeah, that it kind of stuck with it. Well, so many children seem to have like imaginary friends, and like, while well, a lot of the time it could just be a result of boredom or like overactivity in the brain. Like, there's a lot of rumors that they actually are more sensitive to, you know, spiritual stuff. And uh, when they say they have an imaginary friend, they're actually like seeing dead people yeah i mean that's where that whole trope of just creepy kids in comes yeah. from in movies they're, they're always the ones that are talking to the ghosts first yeah yeah and uh did you ever have like you know monster under the bed or in the closet or anything like that when you were a kid or was uh, just you'd I seen didn't... horror movies and you worry that they're in your room at night no i don't think i had any like specific oh there's a monster on my bed mm. i was just always full of anxiety and fear like yeah. I wasn't afraid of any particular thing. I just remember laying in bed and thinking something's wrong. Yeah, okay. I think I would just my brain would eat itself when I was just thinking about like space and death <laughs> and just trying to like comprehend you had that these existential shit <laughs> things. Yeah. Um but yeah, so uh something that I guess a lot of people could relate to watching this um and a very Kind of like specific target audience, but something that everyone can recognize and relate to. So, could have contributed to its success, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, starring Essie Davis uh, as the mother, Amelia, who um, Kent actually studied acting with at NIDA. Oh, yeah. So, old, old friends? Yeah. An old relationship uh, would have made, I guess, the, the directing a bit easier. And Noah Wiseman as the son, who is actually the child of a child psychologist. So okay. he might be familiar with sort of the ways that um, adults can kind of speak to kids to like get a real honest uh, kind of deep understanding out of them. Sure. Which uh, he, he, he seemed, I mean, even the character seemed a bit more emotionally um, like age, if that's a, yeah. the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Like emotionally grown than a regular, how old is he? Six, six year old would six be? Six turning seven. Yeah. And I mean, for the first half of the film... He's such a little shit. Like, he's a brat. He screams. He's ruthless. And yeah. we've all seen kids like that. Some of us probably were that kid at some stages. <laughs> Sorry, mum and dad. But um, And then his persona kind of flips as the film develops, which I really like. But it's, it's yeah, interesting seeing that kind of incessant behavior that just becomes, like, grating as the film goes on. Oh, yeah. Well, I usually, obviously, hate kid actors. And this guy... I thought you just got to say kids. Kid, well, yeah, pretty much kids in general. <laughs> For a, for a reason, they're annoying. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like this one, even though he is an annoying kid character for mm. a lot of the movie, he plays it... I mean, we're talking about a six-year-old here. This yeah. six-year-old actor plays it well enough that he's annoying, but he has redeeming qualities of like, yeah, he's an annoying little shit. But at his core, he's just trying to protect his mother. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting how that kind of unfolds as the film goes on. Uh, made on a budget of $2 million... And only made ten point four million at the box office. Yeah, okay, so not a sleeper not, not, not a major, not a major success. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Premiered at Sundance Film Festival in twenty fourteen. Uh, I think it was January, and then it got a theatrical release in Australian cinemas in May. And it ended up winning Best Film, Best Direction, and Best Original Screenplay at the Actor Awards, which is nice. kind of like our country's. Academy Awards. Yeah. So, cleaned up in that regard. Just, uh, I don't know, maybe people didn't have too much of an interest in it when it was in theatres. Yeah, because it didn't sell well. But I've, f- from my knowledge of just hearing people talk about it, a lot of people love the movie. Well... I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a divisive movie. But yeah. for the most part, I think a lot of people love it. To be fair, I only saw this for the first time, I, I want to say, like last year or the year before. And I had not really heard too much about it. I just knew people liked it. And it was Australian, which piqued my interest. But I, I didn't know anyone personally who had like mentioned it to me. I just read online that it had like rave reviews. Mm-hmm. Whereas then you, you recommended it to me. I think is that right? I think you guys came home to me watching it one day. I don't know. And then maybe watch it on your own after that because. Oh no, that's right. I yeah, because I think I said I liked it, and you were like surprised that I like it. Right? Yeah. 
Probably because it's Australian. <laughs> well, yeah. But I, yeah, I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, okay. And uh, interestingly, um, Jennifer Kent initially wanted to shoot in black and white. Uh, interesting. Because I think she was heavily influenced by like 1950s B-grade horror. Um, well, you definitely get that like German expressionism. Yeah. Not that I know yeah. much about that from everything the Babadook does. 100%. And she's even also mentioned that the original like 1922 Nosferatu mm-hmm. um, w- was definitely uh, influential in the direction. Um, and she also has mentioned Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Shining and The Thing as uh, big kind of inspirations for... For her foray into horror, I don't know if I. I mean, maybe that's just saying those are the ones that like piqued her interest because mm. I don't see many of those in this film. Like, yeah, okay. many reference, not references, but like many examples of like, hey, this is the kind of style from you know The Shining. Yeah, the only kind of got a kid, you know. The, yeah, the only kind of things from those films specifically I could see in this was practical effects and using like sound for for tension that just like suddenly stops it'll like crescendo to nothing yeah well I, that, I really that, like. that's something i like about this movie is the like just the score for lack of a well for the, the lack the, of thereof there mm. pretty much isn't a score a mm. lot of the time especially when it's like the silent um like scenes at nighttime yeah it is silent yeah and it, it makes it gives it like a nice sense of realism yeah like yeah. oh yeah it's just it's a big empty house in the middle of the night there's not gonna be you know strings playing mm. it's like oh yeah builds attention that's a good point, actually. Um, I didn't really notice it until you just mentioned it, but yeah, it's not so much music, like in the soundtrack, mm. in the score. It's more so just noises and sounds. Like when um, something eerie is happening or uh, there's about to be a big reveal or whatever, it's just kind of like disembodied screams in the background or like eerie wails and white noise that just kind of cuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and the character, Mr. Babadook, was inspired by the man in the beaver hat from London After Midnight. The hell? 1927 film. And uh, if you look up a picture of that guy, it's near identical. Like, you can totally see the influence. What's it called, man? Man in the beaver hat from a film <laughs> called hat. London After Midnight. Because I read that and then I, I Googled that and I was like, oh my God, it is the Babadook. Yeah, okay, yeah. Big, big old hat, longish fingers, black yeah. coat. So... Yeah, so you can see... I'm getting, like, penguin vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Oswald Copperpot. Yeah, and you can see in the film, like, how it could have been black and white because so much of it is color graded to be, like, grey and drab. Yeah. And just so much of the, like, set design is black. Like, her clothes, the sheets, the walls, the yeah. book itself, like, on the inside. The only thing I think would have suffered from it being a black and white is just the contrast from most of the movie in the house it is very dark and dreary and black and grey mm. and then, but then that final scene where it's yeah. overcome it it's living in the basement and it's daytime on his party they're bright, bright coloured bright sunny you know environment yeah yeah would have been tricky uh, and interestingly Baba Duke is an anagram of a bad book that's where she got the, the title <laughs> okay. from but it also just happens to mean he is coming for sure in Hebrew so well, there you go. it's kind of working on a few levels there. Um, also read that Noah Wiseman's mother was frequently on set, uh, and they wanted to kind of protect that actor from, you know, traumatizing him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> ruining his childhood by casting him in a, an intimidating horror film at such a young age. So what they did was they used an adult stand-in on their knees <laughs> whenever Amelia was like abusing Sam in the film. And I just think that's a really cool touch. And I think, um, like, Noah has said he, he knew, like, he was making a scary film. Uh, but they kind of pitched it to him as more so, like, a fantasy film. And he was, like, a young hero, like, conquering the evil to save his mother kind mm. of thing. Why, that, that's what it is. And you can almost get that vibe watching it with, like, the way that he interacts with his mother and the way he speaks about the presence and the contraptions he makes. Because... It kind of gives you this like fantasy storybook feel and like Mr. Babadook is like a pop-up children's book. Yeah. It's just like quite dark as you, <laughs> as it, you know, reads on, um, which I thought was a nice kind of coincidence. Uh, and one last thing I'll say sort of about the, the background of this film is uh, William Freakin, Man Behind the Exorcist, 
before he died, said that this is the scariest film he had ever seen. That's interesting, so, coming from the man who has made the scariest film you've ever seen. Yeah, when you get props from the guy <laughs> who's, you know, potentially one of his most memorable films is claimed to be one of the scariest films of all time, then you know you've, uh, you've definitely done you're on the money. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was pretty sick. I mean, it dip, dip, seems like up his alley, though, just a like a small scale, like there's not big stakes, it's just mm. a family, a small family where one of them gets possessed and it's like a family drama. Yeah. Mixed in a horror. A single mother with their kid. And like even that scene when he gets like dragged up the stairs and she grabs him and throws him on the bed and then the bed starts rocking violently. Yeah, okay. Even that reminded me of The Exorcist. He was he was probably just watching me like, oh, this reminds me of my movie. I like it. <laughs> yeah. But this film is overloaded with symbolism. It has yes. every <laughs> visual cliche um, to the point where it's almost on the nose. But... Like, they're cliches for a reason. Like, they work. You see a certain yep. visual and you know what they're inferring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously uh, appeased other people since it's got such high praise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is like, this, like, supersedes Get Out. On, <laughs> <laughs> like, the um, amount of, like, amount symbolism and metaphor in this film. Yeah. Well, in, in terms of when people talk about how, in the last sort of five to ten years, horror movies have taken a turn to just like overload with the grief message and like mm. over the grief and depression and stuff. This is the movie that I think of when people say that. Not to like its detriment, just to maybe it was one of the first, I don't know. Yeah. But like it's the one that I think of that like is the one that I think of that's dealing with grief and depression the most or the best. Yeah, yeah. I think you even mentioned in one of our early episodes that a lot of the films of this century seem to tackle that. Probably is there hereditary kind of subject matter. Yeah. Well yeah, I got hereditary vibes from this. I know mm. that came later, but yeah, so I guess for those who haven't seen it, a quick premise. It's, for Sean. Um, for Sean. <laughs> it's this sleep-deprived, widowed mother struggling to raise her potentially autistic <laughs> son. Yeah. I, I don't know about autistic. He definitely has a touch of like hyperactive ADHD. Yeah. There are traits there that I think parents of autistic children would recognize. Um, but she's also still grieving the loss of his father, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seven years on. Um, and, and the reason this sort of comes to play in with, with his birthday is because he died in a car crash um, on their way to the hospital for Amelia to have Sam. Yep. So his birthday is the anniversary of his father's death who we never met. So I think they even say at the end of the film when they have his party, it's like the first time it's been on his actual birthday. Yeah, because every, every year since then he's had to share it. Be, pretty much been forced to by the mother to share it with his cousin. Yeah, this yeah. Is around the same time. Yeah, and even like uh, Amelia's sister uh, kind of says, you know, you got to move on, you got to let it go. Uh, and she's like, oh, I don't even mention him anymore. Like, what business is it of yours? Like, the neighbor tries to like reach mm-hmm. out as well, things like that. So, well, a big part of it is that like kind of the driving force of why it happens in the movie is her denial for it. Like, mm. she says she's sort of moved past and got over it, but she clearly has not. Yeah. Like, she is still in denial about her feelings and her grief and her depression to Mm. do with the husband's death. That's right. And she almost resents Sam for father's death. Like he didn't cause it in any way. Like sure. She was pregnant with him, but you know, it's, I imagine it'd be erratic driving. If you're driving your pregnant wife to the hospital at night in the rain. I too had that in my notes saying that like, she seems like she resents him and sort of has been just, tasked with all right now i gotta take care of this kid that sort of caused my husband's death yeah she doesn't want to come to terms with that and doesn't want to admit it because she even like resists like physical affection like he goes to hug her and she like cringes and winces and there's even like a line where she puts him to bed and he says i love you mom and she goes you too it's (laughs) like she can't even bring herself to say it back uh, in some moments i know yeah (laughs) Ooh. uh and Speaking, I guess, of that car crash, like that is the opening scene. Um, you know, the, the film opens with a slow mo internal shot of like a rolling car or, or a car crash. I think it's in reverse too, because it starts oh, with her rolling, nice. and then it like the end of the scene is she looks over and sees her husband. Yeah, true. So, I didn't notice that. So, so I think it is playing like in reverse, and it's it's the first instance of like almost dreamlike mm. scenes where yeah. yeah, there's that like rotating scene it's interesting mm. and then she's falling down on her bed slowly as yeah. she's waking up 
then she there's one where she pulls the covers over and it's like a very quick time lapse to, from go to night to day and it's very very dreamlike to mm. like sort of connect the movie in a weird way it's very interesting as well because it's not like how other films have done it before where the opening scene is a dream sequence and then they wake up and the film actually begins but she kind of like softly floats down onto the bed with her eyes open and then in like the one shot that scene begins like in reality when she's awake like she doesn't like it doesn't have a shot of her opening her eyes and then the film begins it's like the dream fuses into reality which is interesting very interesting i don't think i've seen that done before it it plays fast and loose with what's reality what's dreaming yeah blurs the line between the two yeah and so the film kind of i guess follows the struggles of this single parent um and addresses a lot of like taboo thoughts and feelings that i'm sure a lot of parents have Mm. um towards their children that just you know like if your kid's screaming incessantly and you just want to shut up and you know she literally says like sometimes i just want to bang your head against a brick wall till your fucking brains fall out like okay well that's unfair because that's when she's quote-unquote possessed by the fucking babadook oh yeah but that's that's an extreme yeah there is a scene earlier where like the kid's screaming and she just says i wish you why can't you just be normal yeah yeah exactly there's definitely like feelings of a single mother that's struggling to come to terms with why isn't my kid what I want them to be? Mm, mm. Which is an interesting concept because like, I'm not a parent. I'm sure one day I will be. But if your kid is doing weird stuff, a lot of parents try to dissuade it or try to say, don't do that or we're in public. Mm. You know, you got to behave yourself. You got to act like this, be like this. Where I feel like when I'm a parent, my kid's going to be weird and fucked up and I'm just going to be like, yeah, Go do you, Yeah, like, Celebrate be yourself. the individuality. Yeah. And yeah. then you get that sort of at the end of this movie. She transitions once she's overcome it all, where she's now engaging with, with Samuel, like, oh, yeah, show me magic trick. Oh, that's lovely, sweetie. Mm. Like, mm. you're being weird. Actually helps him with his, like, crossbow dart gun instead of taking it off him. Yeah, and I guess we'll touch on it now since you brought it up. <laughs> but you mentioned before how, like, the final scene when it's his actual party, um, you've got, like, all the bright colors and everyone's happy and smiling and it's definitely an uplifting finish to the film uh you're right she is kind of that loving mother again and and she's sort of proud of who he is and and um champions how different he is to other kids Mm -hmm. um but also she's like openly discussing their past trauma with the child services people she finally admits that like oh he's just like his father yeah and like as a result it brings them closer together as opposed to her wanting to like suppress and shut off that part of her for his benefit to protect him like it's actually addressing it and sort of like rewarding his inquisitive nature about his father he never met who wants to know more about that Mm. actually heals them yeah which is really nice uh, Something I didn't consider until you just said it, but that line yeah. where she does say, and I think uh, the neighbor says it as well, Mrs. Roach, I think her name is, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, he's just like his father. That maybe like ties in even more as to why she might resent him because every time she looks at him, she's like, oh yeah, it does remind me of yeah. his father. Yeah, that would be difficult. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what I really like about the the book, Mr. Babadook, is it's kind of this deep red cover with this creepy like silhouette of the the figure itself. Um, and you've got these almost like charcoal drawings like on the inside um, with like children's nursery rhyme-esque kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that book, they actually made like physical replicas upon release. Yep. And I think the first 2,000 copies were signed. Because I remember watching this um, for this, this week for this pod. I was like, that would be such a sick like... Uh, memorabilia to have. I like, want one. I really yeah. want one. And then when I read that, I was like, oh, sick. Someone actually <laughs> made them. Like, I would I would love to have one. That'd what, be so what badass. What if you could buy anyone? Any for sale? Yeah, they're probably expensive now because I assume they would have sold out <laughs> yeah, given true. this was 2014. But it's like when I saw that um, you can pre-order a version of Talk To Me that comes with a replica of the hand and a marker <laughs> so you can like sign it like they did in the movie. Nice. Or an incense burner. Yep. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. Um, and the book has this like mysterious quality to it, almost like supernatural, uh, where she kind of rips out the pages, chucks it in the bin, and then it appears on the doorstep again the next day mm-hmm. and she burns it eventually. Um, does it come back again after she burns it or is that kind of it? Um, I honestly can't remember even though I watched it this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. But 
it it gives you like I don't know Evil Dead vibes with the uh, what do they call it Necronomicon Ex Mortis mm-hmm. is that what it is yep. yeah uh, and we're just saying before we started recording like the the Babadook noise like the Babadook Duk Duk it's almost like that grudge kind of breathing inward mm-hmm. noise mm-hmm. it's <laughs> fucking creepy like when she's under the sheets and you can hear it like see the shadow of it come over and you can hear it getting louder like mm. oh. Gives me the willies. Well, everything about him, like I've heard a lot of people's biggest gripe with this movie is the Babadook itself. They're like, oh, once it shows up, he's not scary. He's not like, he's not meant to be. He's not meant to be like a terrifying, scary monster. He's Mm. a visual representation of her depression and her like missing her husband. And that's Mm. why I think. Yeah, it's not a monster. Yeah, it's meant to be dressed like the husband, right, Oscar? Well, at one point it like straight up impersonates him in like a vision. Yeah, like it's wearing his suit. Uh, don't know where the hat comes from. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but that that's not like it's not meant to be scary. It's meant to be that, mm. and so I'm completely fine. But the sound design of it, like it's the way it talks, it's like I swear when it snarls and breathes, it's like an like a like an alligator or something. Yeah, I love that like that sound in their throat, like crocodiles. Yeah, when, I can't even describe it, but it's like that rattly kind of mm. exhale. Yeah, it's like a, like a crocodile growl. Yeah, yeah. Very and then, cool. And then like hissing and almost like you can hear the cockroaches. That yeah. What do, what do you think the cockroaches mean in the movie? Because I wasn't quite sure. Well, it's almost like the, I don't know, like the, the, the wings of insects are like in its movements because it's mm. got like jittery stop motion movement. Yeah. Which works really well. But the the bugs like coming through the walls, I just saw that as an analogy for like an infestation of like oh, okay, yeah, um, something like unhealthy internally. Yeah, breaking okay. out as just like I said at the start, it's overloaded that with is a, metaphor. Yeah, it is a very surface level metaphor that I somehow didn't see. Yeah, <laughs> there's, well, some, there's something living inside that is trying to get out and is yeah, disgusting. And I wonder if that's maybe why they called the neighbor Mrs. Roach to kind of show like she's trying to get in mm-hmm. to help. Sure. And yeah, I know there's there's a there's a lot in here that I noticed that I'll mention. Um, but that's what I got like just a kind of surface level. Yeah, okay. Metaphor there. Uh, and I also like the, I mean, it makes like three knocks, like it says in the book, mm-hmm. but that's also famously like a mocking of the Holy Trinity in like, you know, demonically speaking. Um, but also the like Baba Duk 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 reminds me of fucking Agadoo by Black Lace. Do you know that song? No. The chorus is Aga do 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 push pineapple shake the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept hearing that every time like I heard the the noise. Uh which is pretty funny, but the Babadook itself, or Mr. Babadook, it's like this humanoid shadow figure and they use stop motion for it, so it's very like like I said before, like jittery mm. insect like movement, um, which is really cool. Uh dressed in like a black coat and a top hat. Mm-hmm. Which With is... super long like salad fingers. <laughs> Yeah, they're almost like talons or like yeah. Freddy Krueger-esque looking gloves. Um, and this like black and white kind of ghostly makeup. Mm. I don't know if you see the face, like maybe when it's on the TV, one of her like hallucinations. You see it a couple of times. Oh, okay. Because it just kind of like lurks in the shadows isn't it? in some shots. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the one that I like is when she looks out across the window into Mrs. Roach's apartment. Oh, and pretty much in her living room? Yeah, it's just like behind Mrs. Roach in the living room, just standing there for like yeah. a couple of seconds. That's yeah. like, I guess, the best shot you get of its face. Mm, that's true. And I also like the fake outs where like in the basement, she looks up and sort of does a uh, double take because she sees like the clothes on the rack that kind of look mm-hmm. like it. Um, and again, in the police station, yeah. that one's really nice though, because it's like this shot on the cop the whole time. And it's only when he like bends down that it reveals it in the background. Yep. Nicely done. Uh, do you reckon the Babadook, like not the character or the book itself, but like that presence in this film, do you mm-hmm. think it's supernatural or purely psychological? Uh, I think it's very open to it like to interpretation mm. because I don't think it's fully psychological because otherwise the the kid wouldn't like getting yanked up it. the stairs and everything yeah like there's too much outside influences yeah that means I, I think it's a nice blend of a supernatural entity that's latched on and is caused by the psychological phenomena like problems like feeds on the fear and the grief yeah like mm. it's just it's just a supernatural manifestation of her psychological problems yeah, because otherwise, why would the kids see it first? Well, but I guess 
that's just could be just be the kids seeing the signs in the mother. Yeah. Because then also she's reading a book. Where did the book come from? Because I think the kid I, says he finds it on a shelf, right? Well, yeah, well, it's when they're reading their bedtime story. She says, you can pick the book and he picks that one. Mm. So, but I, I think I've read a couple of people that are like, oh, it's their theory that she made the book and oh, just okay. put it up there. But it's, so then in that case, it would be more like psychological. Yeah. She's made the book to sort of explain it to him. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Like put it to a kid in a way that they'll understand. Yeah. Well, cause there's another, there's a line. I think it's when she goes to that birthday party of her cousins mm. or the cousins. And she says like, she used to write like children's stuff. She used to write stuff for children, like magazines and stuff oh, for children. I thought, thought she meant like news articles or like she was a columnist. I think she said both. Okay. That's cool. I, I could be misremembered. I might have missed that. But yeah. they've created this being that latches onto grief and like feeds it. But they don't sort of explain if it kind of moves on after that and finds like someone else to feed off. So well, like, no, it, could- it, it very it very overtly at the end of the film says you it doesn't move on. You can't get rid of it. It just lives with you now. Yeah. Like, maybe this thing has never, like, latched onto anyone else before. Yeah. Or since. It's just a creature she's created to, like, understand it and deal yeah. with it. I like that. that yeah. That's right. And it it kind of goes more to the, like, why it's a kid's book. Mm. A lot of, I don't know, child psychologists or whatever. Like, if you are trying to describe something sort of adult and mature to a kid, it's usually in a kid's book. Like, a pop-up. Like, that's yeah. just the easiest way to convey stuff to a child yeah is yeah, to put true. it in a story mm, mm. and i've got to say that scene when they're in the car and he is like screaming at her and then suddenly stops and like looks into the empty seat mm-hmm. and then he's like get out get out and then starts like fucking convulsing and she crashes the car yep that is my favorite scene in the entire film that is so okay. unsettling yep like can you just imagine that? Because like it's it must be creepy enough when young kids like say they see people and there's nothing there. Like apparently I did when I was younger. <laughs> but yeah, it's just so sudden. Like when his his personality changes, like in that car. Um, and I think that might be the same one when she's driving, looks down, there's like bugs all over her lap. And no, not oh, quite. is that a different That's one? That's a different one because that that yeah, the first one you're talking about happens when I guess the Babadook is sort of taunting and latching onto the kids and yeah whereas yeah. later it's when it's latched on and she's let it in and oh, okay. then it starts going into her life yeah sure uh but yeah that's sick um and i also like how we mentioned before like all the metaphors and the messages in this film uh amelia for the first half of the film um or i guess you know for for a big chunk after the book's introduced tells Sam, like, not to mention it to anyone. Mm-hmm. And, like, shuts him down. He tries to mention it to, you know, um, the neighbor and his auntie and things like that. Uh, and I saw that as, like, an analogy for not speaking up about, like, mental health struggles. Yeah, like, uh, like you're supposed to keep it in. You're not supposed to yeah. show it to anyone. Yeah. Um, and even there's, like, a line in, in the book that says, the more you deny, the stronger I get. Yeah. Which is yeah. very true. Uh, and, yeah, they just kind of, like... They sort of hit this home a lot, like uh, when she's kind of oppressed or full on possessed by the end of the film, and she like cuts the telephone line, mm-hmm. locks all the doors and windows. Like that's obviously cutting off communication. Yep. Um, we mentioned the bugs in the walls, but also like it kind of alludes to a toothache, like throughout the film. She'll yep. kind of rub her cheek or like stretch her jaw a lot. I was going to ask what you thought about that. Yeah. Well, and then when she's. It must be around that scene where she cuts telephone lines and she just like, she kills the dog, snaps his neck and then just reaches in and like twists out a molar. Yep. By the way, like the sound design in that (laughs) scene is great. Like you can hear the twisting and the crunching and Mm -hmm. even the clatter when she like throws the tooth across the floor. So nice. Um, But I sort of saw that as a message of like internal decay. Like if you don't open up and, you know, share your struggles with people, like it'll rot you from the inside out. Um, But also on a more surface level, kind of like avoiding checkups. Like okay, if you don't yeah. have people check in with you or you don't check in with yourself, you don't have that self-awareness to kind of monitor when you're on that steady decline. Sure. Like it gets to a point where it causes pain and and in some cases death. So No, that, that's that's a very good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, so many things in this film that touch on that. But on a positive note, I do like at the end, uh, Sam, Sam? Sam. 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 Uh, 
I like at the end when Sam does the magic trick and reveals the white dove, mm-hmm. which is universal sign Symbol of peace. peace. Yep. Yeah, so it's kind of like her making peace with it. And um, you mentioned before how the Babadook kind of gets like banished to the basement where like the father's possessions are and his mm-hmm. clothes and stuff. So I like that they have it sort of live down there. Um, it's kind of like compartmentalizing the grief, but in a healthy way. Because they've almost like tamed the beast. Yeah. Like feeds it worms, which was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm reading into this too much and that's like a metaphor for opening a can of worms. I, no, I, I, the way I saw it is like worms and dirt is like decay and death. Oh, like, like you find decomposing. Like, yeah, like decomposing like worms eating the graves. Wow. Like what, when you die, you become worm food. And yeah. so that, that, to me, that was them saying, like, that's her dealing with the death of her husband. Mm. Like, she goes down to the basement, deals with the death. Yeah. And then that allows her to, like, overcome it. Yeah. And so, she's no longer denying it. She's actually dealing with it. I also love that the bowl just kind of gets, like, yanked away <laughs> to the shadows. Yeah. So cool. Do you reckon with that, because it didn't look like there was anything attached to it, and I don't think there was, like, any CGI at all in this like film. Reverse shot? Yeah, I was going to say, do you reckon someone just, like, was skidding it along the floor and then reversed it in anything? Maybe. That's cool. Yeah, um, I guess that'd be the easiest way to do it. And also, when she defeats it, it's it shows like a POV of the presence, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like this really bright light on her face, and this big like gust of air screaming at her. Then just kind of like rears up, looks around the room, and then it just kind of gets like swept down to the basement. Like mm-hmm. really interesting shot to do it like that f- from its perspective. Mm-hmm. I thought. Some quirky scenes in this film as well <laughs> throughout. I like that they really explore all the the mundane aspects um, and just the, like, I, I suppose common problems that single parents would have. Um, like even just getting interrupted uh, during masturbation, for example. Uh, kid jumps on the bed. Yep. Um, like kid having a bad dream and wanted to, to climb into the bed and sleep with her and then it's just like, Kids like talking in his sleep and rolling around and thrashing about and she's mm-hmm. up all night. Things like that. Um, even when she's like dead on her feet at work and the guy's like, oh, why don't you go home for the day and take Sam out? Something like that. And instead she just like goes out and buys ice cream. Yeah. Like she doesn't want to go home to that fucking kid. Yeah. Also, did you find it odd or weird that that's the guy from Snowtown? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, uh, it didn't occur to me until this time watching. I'm like, wait a minute. That's the fucking psychopath from Snowtown. So like sweet and innocent yeah. in this film, like works in an aged care ward or something. And then yeah, just a twisted fuck in, in Snowtown. <laughs> I mean, props ca- to the actor. Charismatic though. Like yeah. his, his character in Snowtown plays a pretty charismatic guy. Well, that's the thing. He's a, he's a similar character for the first half of Snowtown. Yeah. It's just, that's like what makes it more... Yeah. It's like that whole Ted Bundy approach. Like you be yeah. overly inviting Helpful, so they don't see sweet. you coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and her sister's like, her sister has some points, but she's pretty awful to yeah. Amelia. Yeah, she, she, I mean, I guess it's a character that's had to deal with this for seven years maybe, but she's not a yeah. likable character by any means. Very like shallow and materialistic. Yeah. <laughs> and her friends. But I guess if you want to like give her some credit, sometimes it's just exhausting to be around mm. people like that yeah like and if, I guess, if, if someone's been depressed for seven years and they give no like they make no effort to try and be better mm. it's like well i don't really want to be around you if you're not going to try and help yourself yeah and i mean she's got like she's got the best intentions but i think you're right it's just like cycle of attrition <laughs> yeah she's unfortunately on the, the verge of giving up um and, and a very spoiled daughter and oh, yeah. i like when they're in the treehouse uh, and the daughter's like, oh, you don't even have a dad. And then he pushes her out. And then obviously that looks bad. And yeah, just good writing. Um, and unfortunately, like very tragic, like things that probably happen, you know, like kids don't always understand. Um, like I remember even growing up and you might be able to relate to this as well, where, uh, you know, you'd be in primary school and other kids would be like, why aren't your parents together? You know what I mean? Like, like, kids that had not experienced divorce or, um, you know, death in the family or anything like that, like would not understand at such a young age in some cases. I don't remember my childhood very well, so I don't think there was anything (laughs) like that. Yeah, I think you've blacked out some (laughs) some parts for good reason. Yeah. Uh, And it's almost like in the oppression stage of this film, uh, some really 
uh, interesting things that that she's included that I thought were were creative and original. Like you've got like the vandalized photograph and the the weird kind of sounds that are like paranormal activity esque, but mm-hmm. like the broken glass in the soup or whatever they're eating. Like yeah, that was a nice touch. Yeah, it's that, that's a what does that scene mean? Well, I feel like. That's the Babadook wanting to turn her against Samuel because, like, at first it looks like she thinks he did it. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, oh, the Babadook did it, and he's, like, terrified of her. Yep. But, yeah, that, that's all I see it is. Like, I don't, I don't think she did it, or if she was, like, you know, possessed and did it herself, I don't know. But yep. I, don't, I don't even like using the word possessed in this film because it's not, yeah. like, a demonic entity. It's herself. Which, you know, there you go, another analogy. Personal <laughs> demons. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. yeah, possessed is probably the wrong word, but I can't think of a better one. Yeah, because it's just hers. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any glass in it. and I don't know. I just thought that was... I don't know. I feel like that's a, a common fear. Just like eating something. and Like, what if I found like fucking needle in a strawberry? Or oh, <laughs> something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and I like how Sam learns magic tricks from like this show and he's kind of like rehearsed it word for word, which is kind of cute. Uh, but he makes... Like this catapult thing, which is pretty badass. Yeah, he can, like launch cricket balls. This things. is this is John Kramer as a child. Yeah, <laughs> makes yeah. the cannonball, makes his own fucking hand crossbow. I wish I had a hand crossbow. Oh man, that'd be fun. Yeah, and it looks like it's just made out of like everyday items he's like pulled off the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. creative like, little kid. And yeah, it's like Home Alone vibes. Um, but also like another instance of a child outsmarting the adult. Mm. Uh, like look at Charles play in The Shining, I guess, where we've mentioned. Yep. Um, they think of things that I would never think of in a million years. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other day, it's like he uses those things against Amelia later in the film, but he he does them like to protect her because like he full on like stabs her with a kitchen knife <laughs> yeah. at one point. Yeah. Well, it's self defense. It's fine. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I mentioned before the the TV hallucinations. Um, that's like a recurring theme in here. Uh, in, in the film when she's watching, you know, the cartoon and the Babadook, like, comes on. I mm-hmm. wondered if that was actually that, like, London at Midnight or whatever it was called on the TV or whether they, it was just something it, they shot. Yeah, to... it, didn't, it didn't look enough like him. Yeah. Well, I did notice that I think the TV is a nice reflection they used of her mental state because mm. I think the first time she's watching TV, it's like the she sees the couple kissing and, like, the intimacy, intimacy hotline and then yeah. that's when she goes up to masturbate. And then later when she's getting sort of more depressed and the Babadook's making its way in, then mm. it starts showing the the Halloween stuff, the mm. what looks like a, a cult, like witchy ritual yeah. going on, people like circling around an altar or some shit. And then the Babadook comes on. Mm. And even that news report where... Yeah, yeah. Like, like the, I guess that was her imagination. Because like... Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's <laughs> well, a, she sees herself in the window. Well, yeah, but... I thought like maybe it, it was an actual report she was watching and then she just like saw herself in the window. Yeah. But Although it did sound like an American accent. Yeah, it <laughs> sounded like, it also looked like an American neighborhood. But then when they're like, on his seventh birthday, mother tries to kill yeah. like only son or stabs his son. I think it was definitely a hallucination. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But I do like that their personalities kind of switch like Sam and Amelia throughout the film. Like mm-hmm. as she gets oppressed and as he kind of... Um, becomes afraid of the Babadook, but refuses to let it, like, defeat him and his mum. Like, he goes from this ungrateful, annoying child to this sweet and innocent, like, well-behaved kid. Mm. So, when Amelia is trying to, like, grit her teeth and, like, be the best kind of serving mother she can be when he's acting out, um, as she starts to get quite, like, nasty towards him, you just feel for that kid, man. And then there's even that scene where she, like, hallucinates... Sorry, there's even that scene where she kind of sees him dead on the couch and screams. And then when he screams, she comes to and she's about to kill him. Yeah. Gave me like... That was very hereditary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That gave me hereditary vibes. Um, And even the way that she kind of has this change was so much like The Conjuring where, you know, she sees the, the being above her bed. It kind of goes into her via the mouth, uh, tries to kill the child. Like so many... Conjuring parallels here. Uh, but that whole like unsettling stage where it shows her personality shift and she's like bathing fully clothed in like a black dress and just like picks him up, drops him in the mm-hmm, water. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a very real depiction of like what depression can be. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's just kind of a, a walking zombie. She doesn't, she's very, 
is apathetic the word I'm looking for? She's yeah. very yeah. dissociative. She's she's just walking around aimlessly. She doesn't want to get out of bed. Sleeps e- all the time. Even to yeah. make her like hungry kid uh, some food. Like she even screams at him. Heartbreaking. If you're hungry, why don't you go and eat shit? <laughs> yeah. That was like, whew. Yeah. Like some very clear signs of depression there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when she finally kind of expels it in the basement, when Sam has her like tied up, she like spews this like inky bile. Black substance. Yeah. Um, and I like how it's kind of like the eye of the storm. Like you think it's over and it's, it's dealt with. Uh, but then that's when Sam says like, you can't get rid of the Babadook. Yeah. And he like flies up the stairs backwards and gets like slammed into the wall and shit. Mm-hmm. And you get that big final act. Like, yeah, that was that was a good move. I like a good double bluff. Uh, and even like when you get the vision of the father, we mentioned this before. I think, like I, I presume in the car accident, he was like decapitated and that's how he died or whether that was just part of the like hallucination. But mm-hmm. that's like the only gore you see when his body like collapses to the ground headless. Because yep. other than that, it's like, yeah, like spewing the black shit. Uh, a little bit of blood when she's like pulling her tooth out or mm-hmm. gets stabbed by Sam and that's kind of it. Choking a dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a lot of the horror is just kind of like un- ec- uncomfortable and... Yeah. Um, well, to me, to me, all the fear in this movie comes from like the existential fear of like what happens when a single parent goes through depression or a mental illness mm. and stuff like that and like what happens to the child, what the effects on the kid it can have. Yeah. Like who's going to take care of that kid if the mum is... Just bedridden because yeah. she's depressed. Yeah, that's it. And then also just the creepiness of the Babadook. Yeah. And also, I, I do like the first time you see the child services folks come in and um, they're like, yeah, we just want like a welfare check. And then Sam's like, mom, I'm I'm sleepy. I don't feel well. And she's like, oh, yeah, he he's had a sedative. They were prescribed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a doctor. Um, and then they find like the bugs in the kitchen. Like, it's just unfortunate. <laughs> no, they don't find the bugs in the kitchen. Don't they, don't they no, walk in there? And they, they walk in and she says bugs, like there were cockroaches that came out of a hole in the wall and oh. then they look and then that's where you see there and was no see- hole. So it's something she's hallucinated. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. And then the the Babadook at the end, I really like when it drops to a pile of clothes too. That was cool. Yep, yep. I, Which for- I'm pretty sure is meant to be Oscar's clothes, the husband. Oh, okay. Um, there was a moment first time I watched this where I thought they were going for like... Season of the Witch and it was going to like collapse and then all these bugs and snakes were going to like come out of the, the holes. <laughs> That'd be a bit much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's much better that it, it drops to just like inanimate objects because it's like it's nothing. Like it's all in your head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I do also like that they defeat it with love. You know, yeah. she, she's like screaming at it to leave her son alone. And yeah, it's, Well, it's once she finally overcomes it and accepts it and starts dealing with it. And it's mm. like all right, you are there, but I'm not going to let you take me or yeah. my son. Yeah. And that's where it's like, okay, well, if you fight it, then you're good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, I just... Something I love, this is unrelated, just I thought of it, is um, when she is like, again, possessed or in, in her state from the Babadook. Yeah. She just keeps spewing like, like child's book, nursery rhyme, fairy tale, like lines. Like when is she's she? banging on the door, she's like, let me in, let me in. And then... Once he ah. pisses himself, she's like, you disgusting or you filthy little pig. And so, like, oh, yeah, three little piggies. Ah, uh, okay. When he runs off, um, I think she says, like, run, run as fast as you can. And it's like these little lines are like... That's cool. Keep, like, the little fairy tale child's book. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Nice. That's good writing. I was keeping an eye out for more, but I think they were the only two. Yeah. No, that's cool. And the technique of this film as well, like, it's also got that going for it, uh, as opposed to a lot of that kind of... Those visual cues, but... Um, a lot of like symmetry, which I really liked. Um, you've got like the shots of the bed, um, shots of them at the table. I- I'm just a sucker for symmetry man in films. <laughs> it just pleases my OCD. Um, the aerial shots, um, like we mentioned that opening one of, of her floating to the bed and mm-hmm. there's even like a scene where she like hangs up keys or grabs a spoon or something. And it's just like this top down shot, mm-hmm. like in the kitchen, which I really liked. Um, a few like extreme close-ups, like I think you see an eye, like an eyeball, right up close, which is nice. Um, and even time lapse, mm-hmm. there's there's a few shots where it, it show it goes from like night to night day, to day yeah. yeah, which is really cool. Um, a lot of the sped up ones where she doesn't move an inch, which you know it, it can be like a sign of depression. You just feel like your limbs are lead and mm-hmm. you can't get out of bed. And we mentioned before the stop motion like how the the bubble duck moves 
But there's also the scene where she's reading the book for like the second or third time and they start like playing out as mm-hmm. it wants it wants her to like kill the the dog and the yep. son and herself and pretty it's, much it's, prediction for the rest of the movie. Yeah, and the book's just kind of like moving itself. Well that's that's my favorite sequence of the movie is like oh, okay. that, that time she's looking through the book and yeah. it, it like the first time she reads it, it's kind of sinister, but it's still could be passed as a children's book. Mm. But then the next time it it shows her strangling a dog, killing her son, then killing herself. Yeah, and it's yeah. Just, the way it's shot and done looks very good. I just love that it's a, a pop-up book. Yeah, and you can't see like her moving the things. Yeah. It looks like the book is is like animating itself. Uh, or it could just be her doing it. <laughs> oh, it could be, yeah. Yeah, really, really well-made film. Uh, and I appreciate practical effects mm-hmm. in like a 2014 horror. Yeah, I don't think they really did CGI. Much at all. Yeah, I can't think of an instance where it would have been. But, yeah, it's really a well, good. well-made movie with some very strong symbolism and strong themes. Mm, yeah, it's, like, it's not, it's not one of my favourites by any means, but it's a very well-made film and it's, it is relatable, like, to an Australian audience with, like, the way they speak and the sets and um, on, like, a more personal level, I guess, like, the the relationship between the mother and the son and um, the grief and everything. But I read that Jennifer Kent specifically didn't want it to be like overtly Australian because like a lot of local cinema suffers from that. Yeah. You and kind it of becomes lose, lose like the appeal off. to like American audiences. Yeah. Like dial down the boganness. Because <laughs> um, like even the accents aren't too like thick Yeah, in this film, which I like. Yes. Uh, well, I can yeah. safely say it's one of my favorite Australian movies. Yeah, yeah, definitely one of the one of the better ones out there. Mm. Is there a, a shot in this that you would hang on on the wall in the dead house? Not not a shot per se. I'd just I'd take the whole book and put it in the bookshelf. Yeah, I just I really want that fucking book. Yeah, we've got to look into it. See, where <laughs> see you if you can actually get one. get one. I wonder how much they are. They'd be like a hundred. I guess hundreds of dollars, surely. Yeah. Well, now they would d- be. Yeah. Depends how well it's made. Yeah, that's fair. Very cool idea, and it's kind of fitting too that we're discussing like a, a horror on sleep deprivation just after a nightmare on Elm Street. Street yeah. We didn't plan that; it no. just uh, just went that way. Um, no, we definitely plan that. We we think that far ahead. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, this film is a clue to the next one. It's, it is. It's a hint sure. as to what the next topic episode will be. Yeah, it's not sleep. <laughs> it's not sleep related, but well, we, yeah, uh, no. yeah. Well, that, that, we'll leave it at that, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Make yeah. of that what you will. Yeah, well, I'm, I think that's everything we have to say. That was a very uh, yeah. less of a rambly episode, I feel like. I don't think we rambled as much. Yeah, it was just um, one of those films where it's more so like you can go into the themes as mm. to what looked cool or or what this character did to this person. It's um, just a lot of undertones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, I guess you can find us on our socials at Dead House or Dead House Pod. And we have an email address that you can email at deadhousepod at hotmail.com. Yeah. And uh, you can catch us every Friday, 5 p.m. We'll be right back.